BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Jenna Ellis, and welcome to Just the Truth podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. Election integrity, of course, is the number one issue facing America today. And this is something that is going to go on for a while, even though the Democrats don't really want it to. Of course, any reasonable, rational American knows that we have to preserve election integrity and make sure that our elections are secure. So as we look forward to the outcome of the audits, the investigations, everything that's going on in multiple states, we are going to cover that and we are going to continue to tell the truth here on Real America's Voice to make sure that you know what's going on and how you can support election integrity. So joining me now to discuss what's going on in Arizona is Kelly Ward, the Arizona GOP chairwoman, and Representative Jake Hoffman, who is the state representative from Arizona. So thank you both so much for joining me tonight. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here, Jenna. Yeah, so Kelly, I'll start with you. Um, so what is the latest with the audit and why is this so incredibly important? Well, America's audit is still going on. We have reached over a million of those hand counted votes. So they're uh, almost halfway finished. I bet after, after today, they'll be halfway finished. Now there are three official shifts that are working, the volunteers. The contractor is working a little bit faster to get people vetted so they can get on the floor to be counters and to also um, observe and be a, a volunteer that's watching the process. So things are moving right along. Of course, the Democrats and the left are getting very, very nervous about what we're going to find out. So they are still obstructing at every step. Isn't it amazing that the Democrats just don't want the truth to come out and everyone is saying, well, the results of the audits don't matter because November 2020 is done with. But if they really didn't think that the results mattered, uh, then why are they obstructing so hard? And so, Jake, uh, you have put forward legislation that um, is forward thinking and is trying to stop uh, any sort of um, unsecured ballot, um, all of these things from happening ever again. So where are we at in that process, and why would uh, Doug Ducey, the governor, veto this? Well, look, uh, on the audit front, imagine taking a test in school and you get a bad grade on it. Now, we know we got a bad grade on this last election because voter confidence is at an all-time low. But imagine your teacher never tells you what you did wrong so you can correct it moving forward. The legislature in Arizona takes very seriously our constitutional authority over the administration and management of elections, and as such, we have been very forward thinking and we do care what the audit comes back and teaches us so that we can correctly legislate and ensure that voters have confidence in not only the outcome, but the process of our elections moving forward. Why Governor Ducey would veto critical election integrity legislation 
banned legislation banning critical race theory for public employees. I have no idea. It's incredibly disappointing, especially given the fact that the legislature, on a party line vote in both the House and the Senate, worked our butts off to get those pieces of legislation that are critically important to the people of Arizona and are supported by the overwhelming majority of Arizonans across the finish line. It seems short-sighted, if you ask me. Yeah, and I can't believe that as a Republican governor, he would do something like that. I mean, we would probably expect this from, you know, someone in Pennsylvania or a Democrat governor. But um, I think that President Trump is absolutely correct that he's one of the worst governors in America um, in terms of being a Republican. And so, Jake, do you think that uh, you'll have the numbers to have a veto override or where is uh, where is this headed now? Well, unfortunately, the Arizona legislature, Republicans only have a one-vote majority in the House and a one-vote majority in the Senate. So a veto override is out of the question, especially on party-line vote legislation like these two pieces. But that, that's not our only option. So what we're working on is two potential pathways to get these back to the governor's desk. I do expect that as a Republican, he will sign these when they get there. One option is we can put it into the budget and pass it as policy along with the budget. The other option is that we can get an exception from the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate and rerun the legislation and expedite it through the process so that it gets to his desk along with the budget, taking away that reason why he vetoed it. I'm really glad that you're continuing to push this so strongly because you're right that um, everyone in Arizona, regardless of party, should want our elections to be secure. And so, Kelly, looking forward to 2022 and maybe some of the state level seats that are open, I mean, I think one of the things that came out so very clearly in the aftermath of the 2020 election is how important state legislatures are in our constitutional structure, not only for every elected office, but especially for the office of the president. Um, moving forward, do you anticipate that there's going to be more rallying uh, for the GOP candidates and hopefully you can increase that one seat majority? Yes, there will definitely be rallying for our candidates and there's going to be rallying on the other side as well. They think, the Democrats think that they can Colorado our Arizona. <laughs> when they turned to Colorado blue, they had a plan. I think they tried it last go around in 2020 with the legislative seats. We, the Republican Party of Arizona, were instrumental in stopping that from happening. We know what to do. We are ready to do it. And we are raising the resources to be sure that we are able to do it when the time comes. So we keep that legislature, we keep it strong, and maybe we even have the potential to override even a Republican governor who petulantly and ridiculously vetoes great policy. He even agreed it was great policy because he didn't get his way and get a budget as quickly as he wanted. Wow, that is just so, like you said, petulant and so short-sighted. I mean, I have two two-and-a-half-year-old uh, toddler nephews, and it sounds like he could learn a lesson from them about how to get along with others and actually, uh, you know, move forward uh, with things that are reasonable for the state of Arizona. And when you talk, Kelly, about Coloradoing Arizona, I'm from Colorado, and I have seen that happen. Uh, when we had an 85% Republican state and how that has changed so drastically over the last 20 years, and especially 
especially the last decade. There was a plan. There was a lot of dark money that came into Colorado, and I'm very glad that Arizona is not going to flip like that and for everything that you're doing. And so, um, so Jake, just in the last about 30 seconds we have here, um, talk about why this is so important for people to be forward thinking, because I'm seeing a lot of people on social media saying, you know, hey, if we don't remedy the 2020 election, then peace out, I don't even want to vote. And I think that's absolutely the worst possible response. Well, look, as, as quickly as I can put it, uh, election integrity has become the civil rights issue of our time. Whether we wanted it to be or not, it simply is. And preserving and protecting that foundational element of our republic is beyond important. It is critical to the survival of our nation. And so we call on every Republican legislature across the country to follow Arizona's lead, to take a forward-thinking approach, and to pass critical reforms that will protect and preserve uh, the process of our election moving forward. So well said. Well, Kelly Ward and Jake Hoffman, thank you so much for joining me here on Just the Truth. We'll be right back with more from my good friend, Bruce Lavelle. You're not going to want to miss this and what he's going to talk about. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Just the Truth. And we will continue on this election integrity theme, of course. As I have said so many times, this is the most important issue facing America's future. And joining me now to continue to discuss this truth is my good friend Bruce Lavelle, who is a longtime President Trump advisor, a fantastic American patriot, and uh, someone who President Trump calls a friend. So, Bruce, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, good evening. Thanks for having me, Jenna. Absolutely. Great to have you back. And, you know, as we've been talking about this, Bruce, I mean, you and I talk offline all the time. I'm, I'm very happy to call you a friend. And I know that you are just as concerned as everyone uh, who is reasonable and rational in America about what's going on with these audits, uh, what's going on with these investigations, and making sure that as we look forward to the future, that we are making sure to protect election integrity, because this is the foundation of America, that we yep. get to select and prefer our leaders. So how do you see this playing out? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Well, listen, this is very dear to my heart. Living here in Atlanta, a civil rights family, um, you know, my good uh, sister, Alveda King, her dad, A.D. King, and my uncle marched together here in the civil rights movement. I always say, if you want to go, go down memory lane, look at some of the, the, the what peaceful protesting looked like, you'll notice that my uncles and family members were all in suits and ties. And then when nightfall hit, they went home. There's an idea of peaceful protesting for the record. But, you know, they fought for me and many of my family members that look like me to have a that precious right to go to the, uh, the polls and to pick a candidate of our choice without any uh, persecution or intimidation. And then when I look back what happened in the 2020 election, I look at, you know, when they start saying, well, we're just going to do these mail-in ballots, I said, oh, my Lord, no. Um, there is no chain of custody. You know, being listen, when I say chain of custody, being a business owner, you know, have a jewelry company here for 27 years in Atlanta. We ship every day all over the country. And these packages have insurance, Jenna, and they lose. And we lost uh, four of them in the last quarter with the lowest value of $5,000. Yes, they're insured. But if you can't handle a chain of custody of, of some high value merchandise that says there's chain of custody with insurance and people signing for that and they still get stolen or lost, 
why in the world would you take a precious ballot that my family members, when you come to Atlanta, you'll see them on that civil rights museum and the Montgomery bus boycott and many others um, that fought to get to the polls. And here we are taking our precious ballot and throwing in a 45 cent stamp with no chain of custody and just letting it go free for all. I saw that disaster happening and you and I actually talked about that earlier on when the pandemic started. I said, oh, my Lord, they're going to weaponize and use this as an excuse, use this as an angle to go in and to interrupt our uh, voting process, not to mention trying to get President Trump out. So, right. um, you know, it, it was such a travesty, you know, and, and you know, in addition to that, when I saw the CTRS or the CTS group, Mark Zuckerberg, when they start putting prioritizing 400 plus million dollars especially in the key battleground states. I'm like, what? You right. know, how, how is this even possible? I mean, I, I know I'm kind of rehashing, you know, what the, your, a lot of your viewers know and some who don't know, but, but this right here but is, it's important. was a, yeah, yeah and you know, and I, and I think uh, Bruce, one of the things that's kind of getting lost in the narrative mm -hmm. is when people talk about, well, the founders never contemplated this level of corruption, or well, you know, there isn't a provision in the Constitution that deals directly with a fraudulent election. Well, you know, that's not precisely true, but we also have to look at the history of how the founders yeah. never intended for the federal government to be this important. And if we look at the history right. of how the Constitution was amended, even for the popular election of, uh, of, of congressional senators, for example. I mean, the state legislatures were supposed to be the government yep. that is closest to the people. And when we, the people, got to select and right. prefer our state representatives and state senators, mm -hmm. they were the ones then that determined the Electoral College, determined the manner of elections. We have gotten so far from that that when you deal with issues like big tech, when you deal with issues like uh, the tech surrounding ballots and the fraud and all of that kind of stuff, I think we have to go back and say, okay, what was the original design and the purpose behind state sovereignty and a limited federal government? Yeah. yeah. Well, we the people by the people, my sister. You know, I, I, people, when you say it, you, you have to believe it. And, you know, I, I think for me, as, you know, as a father, business owner, uh, Christian first, is that my hope is that and prayer that with all of this uh, unfortunate darkness that the light will prevail. Um, I'm, I'm, I saw your earlier segment and what's going on in Arizona, and I, I'm prayerful what's been going on in Georgia to that event. You saw the judge's ruling, and a month ago you saw another judge in Clayton County rule about opening up audits in Clayton. But my point is, is that you know I'm hoping and prayerful that all the battleground states and just any states that want even part of the battleground states would take a close look, and. You know, I, I even want to push this a little further, Jenna. You know, I'm married to a beautiful wife for 29 years who is a very smart IT engineer. And I remember 14 years ago when they were introducing this thing called electronic voting to Georgia. She said, baby, I don't think that's a good idea because everything my world builds, meaning the IT world, we always have a back door and there's no, there's no guarantee of it being 100% safe like a blue ink pen that's bled on a piece of paper. And I, you know, I, I didn't think about that. And I said, oh, well, this is maybe this is what the new times are, whatever. And lo and behold, she says, baby, I'm not gonna tell you I told you so, <laughs> but you know, we fast forward in that and you see uh, where we're at now as it relates to, to our quote, electronic voting devices. I won't say the names because I know they've intimidated other uh, folks on networks and, and I'm not using a name, I'm using an actual 
you know, the electronic device. And I, I still right. stand by that as a former chairman here in Georgia of the GOP um, and a business owner for many years, a very active civically. And I still stand by that. Our great republic, to my humble personal opinion, as a 57-year-old man in the South, does not believe that electronic devices have a place in our great republic, quote. And that is a very valid position. And if you look at the state of Texas, when their recommendation was to not use uh, these types of electronic yeah. mechanisms, they said, you know, this isn't <laughs> as safe um, as it should be. And they had a an entire document that is in the public domain. People can go and look at it. I've tweeted it a number of times. We've referred mm -hmm. to it. The state of Texas saying, you know, we don't want to provide these government contracts for something that should be as secure yeah. as our vote. And so when you look at, and I've testified in front of my home state's legislature on election integrity in the aftermath mm -hmm. of 2020, and it's not to say, you know, and, and the pushback was, well, are you saying that Colorado's elections weren't secure? And I'm, and I said, I'm saying the American people and the citizens of Colorado, of which I am one, have to be confident that it is secure. And what is yep. the issue? What is the problem? Mm -hmm with making sure that you go back and you look at every single element, whether it's the electronic voting machines, whether it's the mail-in ballots, whether it's ballot harvesting, whether it's signature matching, voter ID, all of these things, yeah. look at that and make sure that you have the best practices. I want it to be difficult for people to cheat. I want it yep. to be easy for legitimate people to vote, but I want it to be difficult for people who can't cast a legal vote to not. And that's not racist. It's not in any way un-American. It's saying we need to have secure elections. I mean, Bruce, this is so crazy that people are actually saying it's racist to have voter ID. Well, I push even further, being a business owner, once again, everything that's really legit in terms of me, uh, whether I'm doing real estate deals, because I have another business in real estate, they want the blood ink. They want they want that blood ink signature. If you want to lease on an apartment as a young person or whatever person you are, blood ink. You want to buy buy you know open up a banking account. They want to see that blood ink signature. You know the list goes on and on. And so I you know respectfully I I still stand by that. And I see other uh, you know other countries that exercise these type of practices. And you see the 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 loopholes and how how easily they are compromised in other countries. And I think at the end of the day, this is one subject that for some reason, certain leaders, and I know uh, here in Georgia and some other states and across the country, get real quiet when it becomes saying doing away with, quote, electronic voting devices and putting it back. You know, listen, I'll stand in line for an extra several hours or wait, uh, you know, a, another day or two or whatever, if it means that that ballot belongs to that registered voter, legal registered voter. I'm fine with that. I'm okay. And then coming out of that poll and and really saying, you know, I really feel good about my vote. Because back in 2020 here in Georgia, some of my Democrat friends, yes, I have all types of friends. I think it's important to agree or disagree. Yes, it is. Um, said, you know, Bruce, I don't I don't know what's going on, but for the first time in my life, I don't even know if my vote counted. Now these are very, you know, strong, active Democrats that I've known for years. Um, that said this to me, and they, and obviously they, they say it in confidence because they know I've never used their name or, or compromised that relationship I have. But I've, I've heard many, many say that. So um, it's putting that conversation back on the table. I know the lobbyists that 
give money to the state reps and the district attorneys and the state courts and superior judges that, that have, have muscled their way in using that lobbying money to say, oh, no, it's safe. It's OK. We have this firewall. We have this safeguard. You notice that gets dead quiet with most a lot of the leadership and some of our legislators, as well as our governors, Jenna. Yeah, just you like know, we were talking right about. Here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In Georgia, uh, you know, with Governor Kemp and then, of course, in Arizona with Governor Ducey. And I think President Trump is absolutely right to call them out and to say you are being weak Republicans. And so we're going to talk about this and also a couple of other topics when we come back with Bruce Lavelle right here on Just the Truth. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and we're continuing the conversation with my good friend Bruce Lavelle, who is a longtime President Trump advisor. And Bruce, uh, to, to change topics a little bit here, uh, Joe Biden had some comments today on the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa race massacre, and you're going to have a column that is uh, forthcoming uh, very soon about uh, your thoughts on this. But um, explain for people who maybe don't know that history why this is so important and why Joe Biden's comments were uh, just, I think, so off the mark. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Jen. Well, you know, it's, you know, they, they talked about it was never talked about. It. I actually grew up in, in history, you know, reading about this, about, quote, Black Wall Streets here, here in Auburn Avenue in Georgia, uh, Harlem, um, Rosebud, Florida, as well as um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, it all started in 1921 when, um, uh, a young man was a shoeshine person. He uh, jumped on an elevator and a young lady, young white lady accused him of assaulting her. And he ran off and basically they went and got him. But, but here's something that's very important about this. And I just want to, for your viewers here, um, when you hear the word fake news, fake news just hadn't started. Fake news actually was part of this unfortunate travesty uh, in 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Tulsa Tribune, quote, put on the front page, nab, and I say, quote, nab Negro that assaulted girl. That was the headline. So all our, our viewers go out there and, you know, you can Google it and, and, and search through it and you'll see it. It's out there. But they put that out there and essentially you took a big, big can of gasoline and threw it on a fire that already had some unrest going on with the rumors going around and he allegedly assaulted this woman, which her name was Sarah Page, who later on wrote a letter exonerating him. Otherwise, she made it up. And so there were about 300 to 1,000 uh, citizens uh, massacred and killed. 12 churches were burned down, four grocery stores, four doctor offices, uh, four retail commodity stores were decimated. The entire 35 blocks was totally leveled. And the mayor at that time and the chief tried to cover up the story about what really happened. But this gets back to what I'm saying, how critical it is. And I'm glad for uh, uh, this, this great network, and there's a couple others out there really trying to let the truth come out. Because you see, when you're dealing with fake news, how dam damaging it is. Now, with President Biden, to answer your question, coming out here talking about the 100-year anniversary of Tulsa, once again, he went out there and has no clue what he's talking about. Because I, I <laughs> guarantee you, this is the first, the, within the first hour, he probably first learned about it, seriously. Yeah, and yes. we actually have this clip of Biden, and I want you to react to this. It was just so off the mark. The data shows 
Young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding given the chance as white entrepreneurs are. But they don't have lawyers, they don't have, they, they, they don't have accountants, but they have great ideas. Does anyone doubt this whole nation would be better off from the investments those people make? And I promise you, that's why I set up the National Small Business Administration that's much broader, because they're going to get those loans. Isn't that just so incredibly insulting? I mean, as a lawyer, I have had clients across the spectrum, you know, men and women, black, white, brown, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter your gender or your skin color. This is just so incredibly insulting. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, it doesn't surprise me. That's Joe being who he is. He's really honest to God. He See, what people don't realize about when he makes these statements, these aren't gaffes. This is what he actually believes in. He literally lives in that world thinking that a guy that you're looking at right here, I'm a self-made millionaire here. I came to this town with $35, you know, in 1988. And by 38 years old, I was a millionaire. Yes, I had great mentors. I had great family. I had great folks who mentored me and, and, and discipled me on how to build the business and how to structure it. Yes, I knew how to. I had a great attorney. I have a great CPA, which I have to this day, <laughs> you know, that is keeping me out of the audit trails. So, you know, I, once again, you know, it doesn't surprise me, Jenna, but it also it, it's it's who we have. That's really him. He really believes that black America are too ignorant to understand how to pick up a phone and say, hey, I need help with this particular uh, tax return, or I need to, I'm thinking about where I want to be an LLC or an LLP or an S Corp or a C Corp, you know, and, and that is so insulting. But but watch this. I'm sure the left and his folks will give him a pass. Oh, well, what he meant was, no, that's mm -hmm. who he really is. And it's right. so it's, it's so embarrassing because if, if you and I are ha having this conversation, all your great viewers, Jenna, Imagine what the world is seeing. Imagine what Britain and China, all the folks and oh, leaders across yeah. the world are seeing. Like, what in the world? Yeah, you know, and this it's is so embarrassing. Yes, exactly. It is so embarrassing. And it's so, I mean, yep. that's actually what's racist, is to think that somehow black Americans are so stupid that they don't have as much common sense as he, Joe Biden, yep. an old white man. I mean, that's really what he's saying. And for him to say, oh, I'm building this, you know, business administration to help them out. I mean, it's, it's frankly, not only is it insulting, but that's actually racist. And it's so divisive. Yep. And I'm so tired of the emphasis on race and gender and, you know, who identifies as what. Why can't we all be Americans and say the greatest yep. thing about this country is the opportunity for people to pursue their God-given talents and their passions and to make something of themselves because they are the most qualified and they actually have the passion yep. of it. I mean, I'm the first attorney out of my family. My, my yep. dad and my brother are engineers. They have the math. My, my little brother is at Liberty University right now. He's pursuing uh, you know, the airplane mechanic program. He is so just amazing in that. And from the time I was 14, I said, you know, mom and dad, I'm so interested in law. I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> and I pursued that. But you know what? It, like you said, Bruce, we have great mentors, but it takes hard work. And it doesn't matter yeah. that my skin color or my gender mm -hmm. or anything else, it matters yeah. that America is the land of opportunity. Why can't Joe Biden figure that out? Yeah, well, like I said, he's being Joe. 47 years as a bureaucrat, he said he didn't want his kids in a jungle, you know, with other black kids. You know, one thing that is a very valid point about who the president really is. Remember, there's one thing I agree with Kamala Harris. When they were in the, the primary debate, 
when she looked over there passionately and, start, and talked about the girl that was bust, the little brown girl that was bust, you know, bust over to another town on on, on a skin color issue and how he um, opposed or promoted the, the, the busing and et cetera, you know, that's one of many of, that's who he is. You know, the, that's who he is that, that wrote and authored, quote, the 94 crime bill. And, and I'll go on a little further here in 1987, 86, he was the one that pushed the, 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 the strength on incarceration rate on powdered cocaine versus crack cocaine made it more stronger. And then came on in 94 and wrote and authored the crime bill, bragged about it, did a press conference in front of a, a prison. As a matter of fact, they did it right here in Georgia. I think Zell Miller was president at the time. And 95% of the, the optics of these, these young black men in white jumpsuits were black and bragged about it. And then at that point created the largest mass incarceration of black America in this nation's history. The list goes on. And this is why I'm saying, Eugenia, and your viewers, this is Joe being Joe Biden. This is who he really is at a core and a depth. And that's what he really thinks about our brown Americans still in 2021. Don't He don't see the Bruce Lavelles out here. And there's many more like me, by the way. Yeah. They're just not as courageous and crazy enough to come on national TV <laughs> and risk it all and come out on these We're type of issues. We're grateful you are. <laughs> you know, so like I said, either crazy or courageous, probably both. But, you know, and that's just a disconnect with him as a person understanding who America really is. And it's a travesty. And, it that, is. and once again, and I and I hope that people, of course they will, but I hope that people are finally waking up to ignore the mainstream media and to say this is not true. He may be the sitting president, but he is not representative of the American no. ideal and the principles that unite us as Americans. He is not his ideology does not represent America. No. And we have to be firm and, like you said, maybe a little crazy, but definitely courageous <laughs> in speaking up and speaking out and not caring that people call us all kinds of names. Yep. Absolutely. Right. So um, so what do you so in terms of moving forward, though, Bruce, and, you know, saying, OK, we need to make sure that America is preserved and protected and all of these uh, types of ideas are. I mean, I see Joe Biden's economy. Uh, it's, it's just terrible for America. Um, the border situation, I mean, all of these things. How can true, genuine America and Americans survive for the next three and a half years without a lot of things crumbling? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, prayer. And I think prayer yes. supersedes anything, any elected official, anything in life. And I think that's the core of who we really are as a nation. I think we, you know, the great thing about the COVID pandemic, and I want to say it was great, the fact that all the relationships that that folks came together and and, and just the idea that people, hey, well, who's this guy named Christ or who's this, this, this God thing? What is going on with that? That's the light that I saw coming out of 2020. However, the light is going to be shed, as I said earlier in the segment, with all the really dark decisions and all the things being made, I still believe that we're, that we're all going to prevail. I think a lot of this unfortunately happened for a reason. I think this is a gut check to say to get to if, if we're not awakened now or woke now, as you say, woke respectfully, I don't know what else to wake us up, Jenna. But I still believe the power of prayer is going to going to override all of this craziness. And I think at the end of the day, you know, who we are and how resilient we are as people and who we are as we are as, as people in Christ or who we are as believers. Even if you don't believe, that's who we really are. That's what 
That's what creates the resiliency of this great nation and who we are as a people. And that's what keeps me driving every day. I come up every day and put a key in the door and I can make payroll, you know, and I have good health and a great wife, great family. Those are the things I live for. The few little uh, obstacles is, uh, of course, you know, President Biden and some of these policies trying to unravel uh, some great policies that the president has, you know. I pray that he gets over the ego, and I pray for a lot of that administration to get over that ego and say, you know what, we may not like the guy, but we have to admit that these policies work and they were mm -hmm. doing very well. And I think American 100%. people are going to wake up and say, are we better off now uh, than we were? And they're going to like, eh. so yeah. and it all comes down where the rubber meets rubber meets the road. And I love <laughs> yeah. Bruce that you bring this back. To Christ, and you actually just previewed my just the word at the end with Proverbs 19 that you know a man's heart plans his way, but it's the Lord that establishes his steps. And you know we're obviously going to say that at the very end of this show, but uh, I love that you bring it back to the Word of God, and because God ultimately is in control, we need to pray. And we'll be right back with more of Just the Truth. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and we have a women's power panel for the rest of the show. My very good friends, Nan Hayworth, who is an independent women's forum board member, and Patrice Anwuka, who is the director of the Center for Economic Opportunity at the Independent Women's Forum. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Sure, thank you, Jenna. Absolutely. So Patrice, I want to start with you and continue this conversation about the 100th anniversary of Tulsa because you wrote an excellent piece in uh, Newsmax today, our good friends over at Newsmax. The title is Tulsa's Story, Blacks Attained Prosperity Before and Can Do It Again. So uh, talk about this piece and why this anniversary is so important for America. Absolutely. Well, it was, today marks uh, the hundredth hundred years since uh, a since a small neighborhood in Tulsa, um, Oklahoma, was um, was devastated. Uh, you had the deaths of blacks and some whites. Um, a white mob literally firebombed, destroyed, even killed um, a very a several a number of black people. I, the numbers are still uh, uncertain at this point. Uh, but really, it was because of a, a false allegation of a black man touching a, a young white woman in the elevator. Uh, but racial tensions were bubbling over, uh, not unlike today. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, mobs took to the streets and destroyed what was a bustling center of economic um, uh, strength and opportunity in the black community. We're talking about hundreds of businesses, all black owned. Blacks own the land, blacks own the businesses. Um, the dollars that, that blacks who were working, who were living in that neighborhood um, generated outside of the neighborhood stayed within the neighborhood. What we're talking about was independence, um, a strong entrepreneurial can-do spirit. That was devastated um, because of the, the, the riots and frankly it was a massacre that occurred. But even in the midst of such darkness, of such heinous racism in our past, this occurred in 1921, what we saw is the resilience of the human spirit. What we saw is people not depending on government to, so, to, to rebuild, but them rolling up their sleeves and rebuilding together. 
securing loans from other wealthy blacks in the community, um, supporting the poor, philanthropy, private charity, rebuilding that community to the point where, once again, you had hundreds of Black-owned businesses that were operating in the area. Now, we fast forward to, you know, 100 years later, and we don't see the same businesses. A lot of that area has been either, either, either leveled um, or redeveloped um, by other communities, and, and a lot of the spirit is gone from that area. And government policies are very, have very much to do with why that is. And so my piece is saying, listen, the black community is strong. Centered around the family, it's strong. Centered around faith, it's strong. Centered around entrepreneurship and self-reliance, it, it, it can be strong. But what we don't need are policies. You know, groups like Black Lives Matters, this whole movement is not focused on the strength of the family and black resilience. It's focused on policing, one small slice of it, and, and, and frankly, um, building up the wealth of a, of a few community uh, uh, organizers, but not about re really rebuilding the black community. Uh, we saw a lot of progress under President Trump. Uh, we see a lot of virtue signaling mm -hmm. under President uh, Biden today. And I want to see us get back to a place where blacks are resilient and really building their communities from the bottom up once again. Yes, yeah, so well said, Patrice. And Nan, you know, it seems like there's really nothing new under the sun. And it seems like a lot of the same sort of tensions that uh, we're, we were experiencing as a country in 1921 are kind of being relived again in 2020. And, you know, Patrice makes a really good point that, you know, Biden, it seems like, and the Democrats are just fueling this fire instead of saying, let's move forward, let's learn from our past so that we can have a better opportunity and continue to build a more perfect union together. So, you know, where do you see uh, the Biden uh, sort of race issue and all of these uh, these tensions that I think they're stoking? Uh, how is that impacting America? Uh, well, it's, it's it's harming us. There's no question about it, Jenna. And it could be devastating. President Biden just today uh, and I'm sure you both heard the speech in which it, certainly it's been widely commented on that in a speech uh, in memoriam for the 100th anniversary of that hideous event in Tulsa, which is a stain on our history. But what did President Biden say about black entrepreneurs? He said, young black entrepreneurs don't have access to lawyers and accountants. Uh, it, in the same sort of vein in which uh, those on the left and Democrats assert that black Americans somehow don't have the wherewithal uh, to obtain identification uh, that would be used to protect the integrity of the vote, including their votes. Uh, it, it's insanity. It's racism in uh bright new array, essentially, because it, this is a way of conveying uh, that somehow uh, black Americans are dependent, that they are incapable. They are everything that the amazing people in Greenwood, in Tulsa, proved 
that they were not. They were strong. They were independent. They were capable. They, they were enterprising. They were successful. And they prospered in a uniquely American way because black Americans are Americans. And that's what they mm -hmm. do. And I am so sick as, as I, and I don't, I, I, I would love to think that our society is post-racial and post-feminist. You know, as, as an American, I am so insulted on behalf of my fellow Americans who happen to be black that this is the vision that that our president somehow expects Americans to have in 2021. It is so regressive, so retrogressive, so insulting, so weakening, uh, and so divisive uh, that it, it's just it, we have to fight it with everything we have. Yeah, so well said, Nan, and I couldn't agree more that this is something that is, he's purposefully, uh, it seems like, dividing the country based on race instead of the reality that all human beings are made in the image of God, and that's what gives us our inherent dignity and worth, and that is genuine equality. It doesn't matter the immutable differences uh, in terms of value and inherent worth, and what makes us Americans is coming together based on the principles of liberty and freedom and having the equal opportunity not equal outcome. And so, uh, Patrice, in about the last minute we have here in this segment, um, what do you think needs to change from Joe Biden's economic strategy uh, to really move forward in America? And I know that that's a really large question for just at the last minute. Well, first, take all of the, the virtue signaling over equity um, out of his policies, out of his platforms, out of all of the, the government agencies. Focus on empowering, particularly you know, low-income Americans, empowering those who need opportunity, knocking down those government barriers to opportunity, but give everybody the same chance at opportunity. And then number two, you know, let's focus less on making people dependent on government checks, whether you're talking about the expansion of the child tax credit coming up next month, or you're talking about more stimulus or you're talking about his new $6 trillion budget-busting budget. It is less about keeping people dependent on government and more about making them independent and allowing them to take their God-given potential and gifts to the marketplace and be enterprising there. Knock down regulations, knock down taxes. Yes. Oh, I so wish that you could be part of this administration just to get them back on track. And I so am so grateful for uh, the Independent Women's Forum. And we're going to be back here on Just the Truth to talk more with my good friends Nan Hayworth and Patrice on WUCA. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and we're continuing the conversation with Nan Hayworth, Independent Women's Forum board member, and Patrice Onwuka, director of the Center for Economic Opportunity, also at the Independent Women's Forum. And ladies, of course, uh, we can't let June 1st go without addressing Pride Month and uh, how all of the LGBTQ uh, type of transgender uh, really infiltration into women's rights. I think this is an interesting convergence 
sense of where conservatives and conservative women actually agree with some of the liberal leftist feminists. And Governor DeSantis today signed a bill that said we are going to make sure that men and women play in men and women's sports based on biology. So let's watch this. We believe in the state of Florida uh, of protecting the fairness and the integrity of women's athletics. Being able to compete in a variety of sports in Florida fortunately has opportunities across a wide range of sports and we're very competitive in a number of different sports, uh, provides our young girls uh, with opportunities that, that really uh, teach them lessons that last a lifetime. And I think the same is true uh, for all of our sports, certainly was true for me uh, growing up here in the state of Florida, being able to compete, uh, and it took me to college. It's taken many of our girls to college to be able uh, to, to get an education and to compete. So we believe that it's very important that, uh, that the integrity of those competitions uh, are preserved, that these opportunities are protected. And um, I can tell you this, in Florida, you know, girls are going to play girls sports and boys are going to play boys sports. That's what we're doing and we're going to make sure that that's the reality. So, Nan, it seems pretty simple that men are men and women are women, right? Yeah, you know, and Janet, look, I'm a physician, uh, so I had the privilege to study biology, human biology in depth, and uh, it, it's just an immutable fact that for the overwhelming majority of human beings, with some rare exceptions, uh, we are either male or female. And when we are born male, uh, even before we're born, even in the womb, the influence of uh, hormones is already uh, taking its effect. We have a different body structure, obviously. That's how you can tell a little boy from a little girl when they're born. Uh, but the influence of testosterone in particular, but the, the entire hormone mix in males and females is different and it builds males with more muscle, with more mass, with more strength, bigger hearts. Uh, these are things that on a population basis, uh, you know, you, you can predict. I mean, a given little boy may not be quite as strong or fast as a given little girl, but for the most part, uh, that's why we have boys and girls sports and they're different because girls capabilities are different. And it doesn't mean that you can't be a great competitor, uh, uh, but certainly you have to keep the playing field fair. So what Governor DeSantis is doing is fair and rational. Uh, it is not meant to discriminate against uh, children who really uh, may have some deep troubles that make them wonder what their gender presentation should be. Uh, but even if you are a female choosing to present yourself as a male, that doesn't make you a male. It doesn't make you a boy. It doesn't make you a man and vice versa. And it's very dangerous for girls especially to be pitted uh, against stronger, bigger males. I mean, you can in any kind of contact sport. I mean, I dread to think what would happen. So he's doing the right thing.
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even in Pennsylvania, we saw that the fastest girl in the state is now the third fastest because two biological men are now pretending that they're women. And Patrice, this also has implications, of course, for the business world and in economics when you have, uh, you know, these types of, um, of legislation or rules of things like saying, oh, well, you have to have a woman on a board. I mean, why can't this just be mm -hmm. merit-based instead of then, you know, if I'm a woman and I get a position on a board with only other men, obviously people are going to think, oh, well, she's just the token female, not on merit. I mean, this has tons of implications, right? Absolutely. I mean, tokenism, it's one of those um, unintended consequences of things like quota systems, whether pertaining to gender or race. You know, Jenna, another really concerning issue for women's security is when you start to allow the erase some of these uh, designations or allow people who identify men who identify as women into women only designated spaces we're talking about prisons talking about women's shelters places where women should be able to be with other women and find a safe space where they're secure we're now seeing these sweeping changes in places, particularly in the West Coast, where male prisoners are claiming to be female to get into the female prisons. And we've already had cases where female prisoners were raped by these males uh, who identify as women. This is going to continue to spread when we have federal legislation that is, once again, eroding the rights and the protections of women that we've fought for decades, generations to secure. The unintended consequences are that women, women who are the most vulnerable, will be subject to dangerous situations where they're not able to protect themselves. And wouldn't it be great if those people who are advocating for these policies would also advocate for women being able to protect themselves with the, through the Second Amendment, but they are not. And I think this is all part of this larger conversation, you know, about uh, advocating for rights. Well, what about the rights and the protections of our girls and our women? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Nan, just I'll give you the last word here just in the last about minute. Uh, this seems like we're rolling back the entire purpose of the civil rights movement. I mean, we're not just talking about race, but we're also talking about sex as a protected class. Well, uh, yes. And I I we have to be able to recognize uh, and respect the autonomy of all of us to live our lives as we choose and as we see fit. And to see as Dr. King, uh, thinking again of what happened in Tulsa, Dr. King said, we judge each other by the content of our character. Uh, but we also have to, in certain areas of life, like sports, uh, that involve certain uh, immutable facts that have a significant uh, uh, effect on uh, the, the health and safety of the people participating in them, that yep. it's fine uh, to say, you know, we're, we're going to live participation. Right. And uh, and we're, we're cutting out, so we'll actually have to leave it right there. But Nan and Patrice, thank you so much. And, you know, on Pride Month, we always have to remember that pride goeth before a fall and also that we should only boast in the word of God and in truth. And on that note, now to just the word. Proverbs 19:21 says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails.
That's it for this episode of Just the Truth. I'm Jenna Ellis, and we are sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find out more about the Thomas More Society and the incredible work that we do there at thomasmoresociety.org. And I will be back tomorrow and every Monday through Friday here on Just the Truth.